I'll go ahead and explain to you what we explained last time. Typically, Q&As are a chance for y'all to ask questions, to gain some clarity on different things that you've been taught and different things you've heard, you know, over the last several weeks or months or years, whatever. But uh, similar to our last Q&A, those of you who weren't here, we're actually turning the tables, and y'all are not asking us questions. We are going to ask you questions. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So now we get a chance to ask you questions to see how much you know, how much you're retaining, what sort of things you're confused on, what sort of things you know well. And so I don't know about y'all, but I thoroughly enjoyed the last Q&A session we had. Um, and I'm going to be honest. Um, we've done Q&As before where y'all ask the questions, and y'all just ask terrible questions. That's why we're doing it this way. Yeah. I'm looking at you specifically. But at any rate, we're going to ask you some questions tonight. And we want y'all's participation. Last time we had one microphone, and I wanted y'all to be able to talk in the microphone so we could pick it up, and it was just didn't work with one microphone. So tonight, we're, I want you to talk in the microphone, but they'll have a microphone up here, so it'll be much easier. So I'm going to start it off. Uh, kind of, yeah. Yeah, MC. Um, so the first question that I have is that since Mr. Johnny could not be here, what are the ways that we are going to publicly shame him? for missing tonight. He's already bald. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. He, he had important things to do, and so that's why he couldn't be here. But tonight, we're going to be asking you some questions, and they're kind of going to be in a uh, sort of uniform lane, if that makes sense. They're all going to be based on the same theme. And so the first question I want to ask you is, how would you identify a false gospel? But how would you identify it? Not what would you do if you did identify it, but how exactly would you identify a false gospel? Okay. So the way I would identify a false gospel is, I guess, like, let's say a preacher is saying something, and, you know, he proclaims what he says, he makes a statement, but there's no way, no, like, nowhere in Scripture where you can back it up to the point he just says stuff and no, you know, explanation. Did y'all catch that? So he says he would identify it based on Scripture. So if it couldn't be backed up by Scripture, that makes it a false gospel? Is that what you're saying? Is that your final answer? Okay. Does anybody else have anything to add? How else would you identify a false gospel? Hmm. Yeah, crickets. It's kind of a tough question because you have to have a positive, like, a positive definition of what the true gospel is in order to understand what is not the true gospel, right? So let me ask that. How, what is the true gospel? Or how would you identify a false gospel? What were you going to say? Say it in the mic so we can pick it up. Because, hey, we recorded it last time, and it just sounded kind of funny because we were talking, and it sounded like we were talking to nobody. Um, so, basically, if they can back you up through scripture, but then they turn around and try to use it in the analogy for themselves, like the David and Goliath thing, where Goliath is like your bills or a bully or something like that, and you got to be David and stand up and, yeah, against it. So... sense to everybody? So that kind of has to do with how you interpret the Bible, right? Yeah, you, you have to interpret the Bible the correct way. Otherwise, you're going to start saying things like your bills are Goliath and you just need to find your five smooth stones, which is your five, you know, smooth dollars that you're going to hurl at your bills or whatever, something strange. So if you're not interpreting the Bible rightly, you're not going to have an identification of the true gospel. So who else? Who else can either tell me what the true gospel is or tell me how I can identify a false gospel? Oh, I was in theater. Of course I'm going to stand up. Everybody listen, listen. I would say the true gospel is the one book that we have. You know, we got like 30 of them back there. Everybody has it on their phone. I would say, ding, 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 the Bible. All right? And I think others who base their books off of the Bible, too. But, like, what coincides with him and what he said 
You can't twist it for your own purposes, and you can't make up stuff. Thank you. All right, did you hear what he said? Basically, the true gospel is that which is in alignment with Scripture. Does anybody disagree? Yeah, yeah I would hope not. Anybody else have anything to add? So that's just it. If I said, hey, what's a false gospel? You just, here's the Bible. Hey, is this a true gospel or is this a false gospel? Bible. Is that the right answer? I mean, yes, but. Let's see if our, let's see if our, uh, our panelists can, can elaborate. I would tell them to read the Bible. If the question is how you identify a true or false gospel, I think that there's one point that's going to be true every single time. A false gospel will be man-centered. And by that, I mean that there will be a shred of hope for a man somehow on his own to be saved. That is a false gospel. And Andre, what you pointed out, that David and Goliath points to someone who's taking scripture and saying you can overcome, you can have success, you can have victory, yes. Am I too quiet? I'm kind of quiet, so <laughs> not a good combination for me and you. Is that a little bit better? A little bit better? But anyone who is going to take scripture and put you in it and have something along the lines of you can have victory. Can you hear me a little bit better now? Victory or success or any, any shred of hope for you on your own to attain salvation. That's a man-centered gospel. And so you look for that. If the preacher or man is up there, and at the end of it, there is a, you can do these things a little bit better, do your best, try harder. If the message comes down to that, that is a false gospel. If the message leaves you destitute of hope, where the only hope you have is something outside of yourself, then you're forced to look to Christ, and that's the true gospel. The true gospel has the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. You're convicted of your sins, you see that you're going to be judged by a holy and righteous God and that you have no hope. And it forces you to look outside of yourself and you look to Christ. So I would think any false gospel will have an element of man-centeredness to it. When you think of gospel, <clears throat> when you hear somebody ask, what's a gospel or what's a false gospel? Think good news. Insert good news in place of gospel. The gospel of Christ is the good news of Christ. Well, what's the good news? That Christ has paid the penalty for sin, right? But because there's good news, it implies that there's bad news, right? So, to what Tim said, the good news is the gospel is that Christ has paid the penalty there is no other way to make yourself righteous only Christ can do that so a false gospel is again like he said anybody that adds to Christ is a false gospel baptism and Christ whatever it is do good and Christ Jesus, you know, this is, a, this is a book from a few years ago. A title of a book was Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the good news is that um, he has paid the full penalty for your sin. Um, I agree with what they just said. <laughs> not to really add to that but um, Galatians chapter 1 um, Paul he talks about 
the true gospel. And he says this, chapter 1, verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And he explains himself there. He says, which is not another. In other words, there's only one gospel. This is a false gospel, as we've been talking about. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, listen to this language. But even if we, who is the we there? The apostles. Or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be looked on with a little less than a great guy. It doesn't say that. It says, let him be accursed. And just to make sure, he repeats it again. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, here's the interesting thing. These people, if you go, if you continue to read what he says about these people, these people believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I would bet that they would go as far as to say that they, they would say probably they're saved by grace even. I bet some of them would because we have those same type of cults today. Maybe not. I don't know. But what they were wanting to do is add just a, a little, like, like Tim has said, just add this little thing in. And to them, um, it was just a few things from the Old Testament works, things that they can accomplish in their own flesh, and adding that to the gospel. This is where it gets really um, dangerous and really hard to tell sometimes because you'll meet somebody and you'll be like, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, great. We're believers. Or you go to church? Well, I go to church. Well, you read your Bible? I read my Bible. And we think that we're on common ground. People say, man, I love God. See, somebody can say, I love God, and not be talking about the God of the Bible, but a God that they have made in their own image, a God of their own making. And that happens a lot. It is very prevalent, even for people sitting... Um, in the pews in a church. And so what I want you to see is like there, there's even been a movement um, in the last 20 years that has wanted to um, take Catholicism and us join hands with it and say this is the true gospel. But it's not. Catholicism teaches that yes, you're saved through Jesus, but there's also things that you have to do in the church in order to be saved. Is that a true gospel? No, it's not. Um, and so this is where it gets really hard to discern, and we need to love these people and care for these people um, and, and reach out to these people because there is a, a, a lot of power in a religious lie. Um, you look at all the... The, the false religions of the world. There's a lot of, of power in that lie, and, and we need to, to make sure that we're communicating uh, the full gospel. So, Does that make sense? Yeah. So the easiest way, in my opinion, to identify a false gospel is it's basically Christ plus something, right? The gospel is about Jesus. It's not about you, Right? It's about Jesus. It's about what he did. Right? It's about his sinless life. It's about the fact that he went to the cross and atoned for our sins and that he was resurrected. And that because he was resurrected, we too can be resurrected. Right? We can be raised to walk in newness of life as we sang about it in 
before we started. And so anytime you have Christ plus something, it's a false gospel. If you say Christ plus your material health and well-being, is that a true gospel? No, because it's not Jesus. It's Jesus plus. If we said, if we said it's Christ plus your baptism, is that a true gospel? No, because it's Jesus plus something else. And that was the issue in Galatians. As they said, they, they agreed with Paul. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is God. Jesus uh, lived a sinless life. He died and atoned for our sins, and he was uh, resurrected on the third day, and he ascended, and now he's seated on high with the Father. But you've also got to be circumcised. Christ plus circumcision. Is that a true gospel? It's a false gospel. They agree with Paul basically on just about every point of Christianity, but because they were adding to the gospel. It's a false gospel. And he goes as far to say that he wishes they'd be cursed, like straight to hell, do not pass go, do not collect $200, kind of cursed. So anytime you have Christ plus something, you've got, you've got a false gospel. So let me ask you this. So um, if we're saying that the true gospel is Christ plus nothing, it's just Jesus, what he did. Um, if, if I said something along the lines of, um, in order for you to be saved, you just need to ask Jesus in your heart. Is that in keeping with the true gospel? Why not? Isn't that something we're supposed to do? Uh, you basically said, you said, um, you ask him into your heart, which you can't do anything. He accepts you. He does it all, not you. You can't accept him. Um, I cannot remember where I heard this from. I think it was a student light con student life sorry not student life student life concert me and Casey went to like five years ago there was this pastor and he was talking about that whole like subject of like you ask Jesus into your heart and he said well Jesus isn't knocking on your door waiting for you to say yeah you can come on in like he is already at the door and whether like you truly accept him into your heart or not it's like up to you something something along the lines of that it's just like it's a good illustration to look at like jesus isn't always just standing by waiting for your approval like you know when you're truly saved it's because the spirit not because you say okay i'm ready so yeah that's, that's all i can say anybody anybody else uh well just a little story time so this was actually at the butterbean festival i was trying to get some funnel cake then i saw the line was too long there's like this little booth. They're like, oh, can I tell you three things God can do? And I remember Mr. Josh was like, if anyone's going to share the gospel, do not turn it down. So I was like, okay, sure. So they started talking, talking, you know. It's like, are you 100% sure that you're going to, to heaven? I'm like, well, I'm a, you know, a sinner, you know. So like, you know, and they said, oh, okay, sit right here. So she kind of took me through the ABCs of Christianity. I already forgot them. It was like two days ago. And... <laughs> Not just the first three. <laughs> so so um, she's told me to flip over the card, and it was like a prayer on there, but he's saying, God, I accept you into my heart, this and that. And, you know, we're still praying. And after it, I just kind of thought in my head, and I was like, man, Mr. Josh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be too pleased looking at this one. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's crazy how we're just talking about this, you know, now. Like, it just happened a couple days ago. All right, so just to be clear, asking Jesus into your heart is not in the Bible. I'm, go ahead and tuck that away into your mind somewhere and keep that. It's not in the Bible. It never says that anywhere. So is it wrong to pray and ask God to save us? Do you all agree with Joe? It, 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 it is okay to pray and ask God to save you. But is it your prayer that saves you? Or do you have to pray in order to be saved? Why not? 
y'all hear what he said? Can I? Does anybody agree? Does anybody disagree? Can I ask y'all this? If, if when you pray that prayer, um, when you call on the name of the Lord, do you have to mean it with all your heart in that moment for God to actually save you? Say, say it in the microphone. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it like a verse about even if you have like a faith of a mustard seed, that's enough? Or even if you can't... What, what can you do? What, it's, what does it say you can do if you had the faith of a mustard seed? Move a mountain. Have you ever seen anybody move a mountain? I've barely seen mountains. No, 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 no. What, I, what, what I'm driving at is this, and this is what Tim talked about last week and what I've been talking about for a few weeks now and Josh and Drew have been talking about for a few years now and Brad and the Bible's been talking about for about 6,000 years. Um, is you can't save yourself. Jesus saves. And it's not about, like Tim said last week, it's not about conjuring up enough um, purity of heart in a moment or enough faith in a moment so that the spell of salvation takes. That's actually witchcraft. That's what witches do, is they conjure up spells, saying the right words at the right time, with the right mood and the right cauldron, you know. That's not Christianity. And so, that's, and I'm like Tim. I didn't share my testimony with y'all, but I, I basically did the same thing as them, because when I was nine years old, um, someone who cared about me very much led me in a, a prayer of salvation. Um, and then I would hear pastors say after that, if you just said that prayer at, at the end of a service or at the end of an invitation or whatever, they would say, if you just prayed that prayer and meant it with all your heart, then you're saved. Well, <laughs> I knew enough to know that my heart was sinful, you know, and that there's no way. And I think I knew that, I think at the time, because I was born again. And I knew my heart was sinful, and I knew I couldn't do that. I had just been, had all this bad doctrine taught to me. And that's, that's misery, um, to think that it's on you, that you have to perform this thing. Um, I knew I couldn't do it. And so whenever I heard the true gospel and somebody explained it, I was like, yes, that is, I, yes, that's it. Um, and so you never, you don't want to put faith in your faith. You don't want to put your believing in your belief or in anything you can do. And that prayer of salvation method, which is not in the Bible, as Drew has said, it breeds that. It breeds you putting confidence in something you did. I'm not saying that everybody who ever prayed that prayer is not saved. If somebody prayed that prayer and they were saved, it's because God had already saved them. He had already raised a dead person to life, and there's already faith and repentance in the heart. That's just them confessing with their mouth is what that is. And the salvation has already occurred in the heart and in the life. So one other thing, going back to the, the previous question about sharing the gospel, and I, I hit it on a little bit, but I didn't complete my thought. It's, it's so important that we when we're talking with people and, and they say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, or um, yeah, I'm saved, that we don't just stop there, that we say, what, what, if you were to stand before God, you know, what, what would you say? Why should he allow you into heaven? You know, some question like that that really cuts the chase where they have to answer, and if they say, well, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, well, I, I believe in Jesus, and I, I think that, you know, I've been I've been pretty good, you know, and I think that my good works will outweigh my bad works and that, um, that I'll go to heaven. And you say, well, can I show you from the Word of God where um, it's actually Jesus has paid it all? Like, and we, have, we don't have any righteousness of our own, and, he, and he's done all the work. Um, and show them the true gospel.
Um, I would encourage you not to let it die, let a, a conversation or relationship die with just, oh, I believe in Jesus, because everybody in the South pretty much believes in Jesus. <laughs> You ask the question, is it bad to believe in Jesus? And Joseph said to my right, you know, we're commanded to believe. And then we talk about how in your attempt at belief, that's not good enough. It kind of leaves you a little bit in limbo, doesn't it? Because what do you do? I had a conversation with somebody today, and this person's a believer, and they said, the bane of my existence is John 3.16. The reason they said that is because they had two conversations this morning at work with people who were telling this man that they think that they have done something to earn salvation. He had two conversations this morning with people that went to John 3.16. Y'all know it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life they said right there is the text i can go to and prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that i have the ability to come to god based on my belief but you'll watch this what does this verse teach us let me change one thing one thing and see what changes here god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever donates a million dollars to charity should not perish but have eternal life what did I do I changed the condition this verse talks about the condition of salvation not man's ability everybody looks at it and says because Jesus must be believed in I must have the ability to believe in him and that's wrong that's not what this verse is telling us the condition is belief. Where does that belief come from? Us or God? And that's really at the heart of this. Faith comes from God. To that point, though, that he's right. That's just one of many verses that, that people kind of lean on real heavily. I mean, if you ask... The, an average person, they know what John 3.16 is. That's the most common. But one of the things, and, and it's to our shame in the church, that we have not taught clearly enough over the, over the years, is John 3.16 is not standing alone. It's in a greater context of a conversation that Jesus is having with a man named Nicodemus, speaking of the spirits moving. So... Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Were, did, did you have anything to do with your first birth? You didn't. Do you think you'll have anything to do with your second birth? Spiritual birth. No, you won't. So taken out of context, that, does, that verse does seem like a, a troublesome verse for us. There are many that people kind of pick and choose. There was another one I was having a conversation uh, with someone, and they talking about accepting Jesus. I and mean, this was exactly the conversation. He was kind of chastising someone. They had made a comment about the modern heresy of the American church is easy believism and the uh, accepting Jesus heresy is what he called it. Well, he snapped back, and John, and he quoted John 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's verse 12. Sounds like it's making his point, right? All who accepted him. He didn't finish. Verse 13 finishes the sentence. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you see, this is, this is the kind of the trick. And if, if you study your scripture and you sit under good teaching these questions as we talked about last q a you will have a confidence in sharing the gospel also the gospel and 
I intentionally use when people talk about it, when I share what God has done in me, I intentionally say God saved me 12 years ago because I was not seeking him in any way. I was nearly 38 years old, and I was running as fast as I could headlong into hell. But God, like the song we just sang, he rescued me. I wasn't looking for him. So when we grasp the good news that he rescues sinners running as fast as they can to hell, and we know it is him that works through the gospel to bring newness of life, we have a confidence. I don't have to convince the person. The Bible tells me, just tell. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go tell people about me. Go tell them about me. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God into salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I don't have to convince you. None of us have to convince you. The Spirit works. So the same gospel that softens hearts into salvation also hardens hearts into condemnation. We have to grasp that too. But it's a confidence that I don't have to speak eloquently and correctly. All I got to do is tell them about Jesus. And that's a very comforting thing as a believer going, it's not up to me. The only thing that's up to me is to say the words. Is everybody kind of following what we're talking about with the new birth and, and all that? Because that is, that is the most misunderstood um, and, and, and under uh, and neglected doctrine, I think, in the church is the new birth. We, we talk a lot about um, believing, which is <clears throat> without believing, without repentance and belief, there is no salvation. Don't get us wrong. We're not saying anything that that is commanded. It is, you know, absolutely. But even those things are something God does. And I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about how we were slaves of sin. Do y'all remember that? Yes. Thank you, Casey. And how we're, we're chained in darkness. We can't see we can't escape, and Christ comes and, and buys us from our slave master's sin, the Bible tells us in Romans 6. And that analogy of him bringing us out of the dungeon of darkness into the light, where we could see the filthy rags of our own righteousness, at that point, that, that's all defining the new birth, our change in nature. Um, being slaves of sin to being slaves of Christ, that's one way of talking about our nature, of us being dead in our trespasses and sins and made alive in Christ. That's another part. Um, and, and Christ purchased both of those, and they're as much a part of salvation. They're the, they're the first thing that happens, and it's God that does them to us so that we respond in faith and repentance. Does that make sense? Does anybody have any questions about that? Or, because that is a, that's a deep topic. I would be surprised if everybody, including myself, fully understood that. Because <laughs> I don't. I guess we're experts. Does that make sense? Kinda. What? what yeah. What, what? What are you thinking? Well, talk to me about it. <laughs> no, but seriously, if there's something. If you're like, I'm not, I'm not quite following, I'm not quite getting it, let's, let's talk it out. Once we talk about, once we talk about what more? What did he say? Yeah. 
It, yeah, it's like it's a hard thing to grasp, right? Because it kind of sounds like what we're saying is you don't have to do anything in order to be saved. So does that mean I can go live like a pagan? Y'all know what pagans are? You can kind of get it from the context of me. Not Pegasus. Pegasus was a horse with wings. Whatever. I'm thinking of Hercules, you know. But, but, but is that what it means? That like, hey, I don't have to do anything to be saved. That means I'm good. Doesn't matter what happens, I'm going to heaven. Why not? Just pretend you don't have a microphone. Hey, everybody. What was the question? Does that mean, hey, it doesn't matter what I do, say No. Why not? Because you cannot just... <laughs> I'm nervous, guys. Give me a second. Oh, my God. Are we really? Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. Because in the Bible, it tells us that, like, we have to follow all the rules and all that and whatever, whatever. You know, listen to the Bible. And you can't just, like, someone who, say someone at school is like, they don't believe in the Bible or they don't believe what the Word says. And they just say, hey, but they believe in heaven. And they said, I'm just going to heaven. You know, if that makes sense. Okay, so, so I don't believe in the Bible, but I believe in heaven, so that means I get to go to heaven. But, what, but, but, but we've just spent like the last like 15 minutes talking about how you can't do anything to be saved, so why do I have to believe in the Bible? But why? But why? It is God's word, but I, I can't do anything to be saved. Why do I have to believe the Bible? True. Okay, uh, I hope this makes sense. But um, basically, it's not saying you don't have to do anything, but in a way you kind of do, because in John 3.16 it says, you know, for, you know, if you want to turn alive, you just sit there and wait for it to come to you. He's like, you know, you have to actually believe. Like, you know, if you're down at your last, you know, scrapping ground for, you know, dollars and whatnot, you're not saying, man, I hope someone's going to come and help me. It's like your only hope is Jesus at that point. So it's not an obligation to like, I mean, kind of, how do I explain it? But basically, yeah, it's, it's like, it's not saying, you know, you go into a church and let's say, you know, hey, guys, I'm saved. Yeah, I'm bragging about it. You know, Jesus did for me. It's kind of saying, you know, you know, I was down to my last, and he was my only option. You know what I'm saying? Um, <clears throat> let me try, you know. So, so like, the, the main point that we were driving in the very beginning is that you don't do the work that gets you into heaven. Jesus saves you. So it's like, it's not necessarily that you don't have to do anything, but you're doing good things, like, for God. Like, you know, you're, you're going to church, stuff like that. Not because I have to do this to be saved. Because I'm called to do this by God and his word. And the only reason why you're doing that is because you're truly saved. Not because you're going to church, but you're going to church because God saved you. So it's like, the, the, the S's are, are hitting really hard on the mic. So it's like, you're, you're doing the work because God is in control of your life and he's called you to do it and if you're truly saved you find pleasure in doing those things I was going to say that but um not, not exact words though so uh basically what he said and also I feel like when you are saved you want to be like, like, you want to be almost as close to God, and I, I don't know how to phrase it. You want to be 
like him. You want to imitate him. Thank you. That was the word. So you want to be like him so much. So you try to imitate him, basically. And that's where we get those things from the Bible, which we try to follow those rules, like the Ten Commandments, as like there's a as close as possible, basically. So yeah. Anybody else? Y'all in the back two rows are being super quiet. I feel like, like people at school, hold on, let me try to, like what Logan said and what you said, like um, people think, like, you know, I know people that think this, like, they're like, God saved everybody, so I'm, like, already saved, but they only believe in, like, the heaven part. They don't believe, like, in God and stuff. I'm, um, it's very confusing. So is is that the gospel that God saves everybody? Yeah, is that the, is that the gospel? That God saves everybody? Mm. But you're right. So she, she makes a good point though that some people want to accept some things in the Bible, but not all things in the Bible. Are we allowed to do that? Why not? Why not? Because like Mr. Tim said, then it's man-created. It's not Christ-created. If the Bible is God's holy, divine word, and he created it, and we omit parts of it, then we are omitting parts of God from not only our life, but our belief, and then what we share with others. So that is a false gospel. I was going to say that. But, I mean, this is tough, right? These are, these are hard things. All these things are in the Bible. The Bible tells you about all these things. But it's tough, right? If we say you can't do anything to be saved, but then we turn around and say, oh, but hey, you need to go to church, and you need to be baptized, and you need to obey God, how can we... I thought we don't have to do anything. So which one is it? Tim? Joe? <laughs> Logan, Logan hit on something, um, talking about how it's all of Christ. Okay, so a lot of people, because we're man-centered, even, even if we're going to give in and say that salvation is all of God, we're going to say living this Christian life is up to me. We may sprinkle in a little bit of the Holy Spirit and say, well, you know, we need the Holy Spirit, and, but just a little, and I can do most of it by myself. But if you look at what the Bible says in regards to this, listen to some of these verses. Um, Philippians 2.13 says, it is God, now catch this, it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, that's throughout our Christian walk. It's God who works in us to will, to desire, and to do. So my desire to do something, my action of doing something, if it's a good thing that honors God, is carried out in Christ and the Holy Spirit in in me. You, you start looking at what Paul said, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's not lip service, folks. He wasn't saying, I know secretly really it's me, but I'm going to act like it's Jesus. No, he wasn't saying that. He was saying, it really is. It's Christ who lives in me. How about this? He who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. That's talking about Jesus. Beginning the good work is what? Salvation. He, he saved us, and then he's going to complete that work. 
Um, Jesus is the author and the what of our faith. Author and finisher, beginner, completer, and all in between. You see that? Um, Ezekiel 36 talks about the new birth. He says, I will take out your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to obey my rules. You see that? It's God start to finish. Now, where we are mixed in there is all the sin that we do. And then he brings repentance. And he keeps our faith. And he keeps us on him. Does that make sense? So when you see someone who is not walking with the Lord, who says, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Do you, do you care about him? Eh, he's all right. You ever read your Bible? Nah, not really. You say, well, bro, I mean, he who started the work is going to complete it. Like, I don't see evidence that he's still working in you, which raises the question, did he ever work in you to start with? You see what I mean? Does that make sense? Um, where did we start with this? We were talking about, and it's like 740, isn't it? Yeah. 737. We've got an hour. We got one hour. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> before the first intermission, <laughs> second round of questions coming up. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, let's try to ask that question again, because we've kind of we've kind of made our way kind of around this issue from a lot of different aspects. So let me ask the question again. How would you identify a false gospel? Uh, Basically, Jesus plus something or taking away from the gospel. I'm going to identify a false one by identifying a real one. A real one is Jesus' life, death, resurrection, nothing more, nothing less, nothing added, nothing taken away. Yeah, what he said. Yeah, Casey made a good point. Like, the best way to identify a false gospel is to know the true gospel. I don't know if y'all know this, but did, did y'all know that the Secret Service— like the guys who protect the president, they're also the ones who like deal with like currency and counterfeit money. So if you're like making counterfeit money, it's not the cops who come after you, it's the Secret Service. Did y'all know that? Yeah, interesting, right, yeah, it's true. And here's the thing, so Secret Service agents have to know how to identify counterfeit money. And the way that they do this, the way that they train for this is they don't go and study counterfeit bills they study real bills. They spend hours and hours and hours studying actual real money so that when they see false money, they go, oh, no, 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 no. I know exactly what a real $100 bill looks like. That's fake. And that's the only way, truly, you can identify a false gospel right away. Sometimes you have to dig, right? Sometimes you have to dig to find where the inconsistencies are. But the best way to identify a false gospel is to just know the true gospel. So well that as soon as it pops up, you go, oh, no, 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 no. I spent hours studying the true gospel. There's no way. There's no way I believe that. That's the true gospel. That's fake. This, this is real money, by the way. This is real Bible. I don't think any of y'all have had the opportunity to go, but I know Laurel has. Josh annually takes... Um, college age around high school seniors and college age to uh, the Passion Conference in Atlanta. And usually they have some good speakers, but one of the things, one of the main reasons that he takes them, or a big reason, and it's an encouraging thing coming from this group and the groups that have gone through here at North Clay, is you're going to hear great speakers that preach a true gospel. You're also mixed in there 
because of the nature of what this conference is, you're going to see, quite frankly, clowns that have no business being on the stage give a false gospel. And then they go back and talk about it. And they actually have, uh, the ones that have gone in the past, Josh was really encouraged because they were, something didn't sit right with them. Because what we try to do here at North Clay is preach and give you the true gospel and divide the word of God correctly so that when you hear something that doesn't flow with what scripture says, you should go, I don't sound right. There's something about that that doesn't sound right. What is it? And kind of work through those things. Can I? Let me just ask this. If I said we're all from the seeds of Abraham, and because of that, there are promises made for us, and one of those promises is that we are conquerors and we should have victory does that raise a, a single red flag as I kind of follow that thought progression? I heard that from a false teacher today in a podcast. Casey? We're all, we're all the seed of Abraham. We know that there were promises made to Abraham, and so we have those promises, and those promises are victory, and we should have victory in our life. And it goes on from there, but that's, that's the progression he makes. There's Abraham. There was promises made to Abraham. Victory. Look at that progression. And this is a gospel being preached on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, by somebody in America. So, is that the gospel? Is, is that the gospel? Does anyone know what the promises made to Abraham were? That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, didn't we sing a song about that? Did we sing it? Or did we sing it today? All right, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you, right? So there's some promises made to Abraham, but does that mean that I get to have victory in everything I do, everything I put my hands to? No, who gets to have victory? God, but who specifically? Jesus. Promises made to Abraham are fulfilled in Jesus. So if somebody says, hey, God made Abraham promises, you should go, yes. And that promise was that Jesus would come and would save us from our sins. And they go, and that promise is that you can have health, wealth, and victory. You should go, hmm. What do we say the gospel is? We said it's Jesus plus nothing. So what did he do? He took those promises and he took Jesus out, right? And he put you in. Hey, it's promises to you about your victory. It's false gospel. All right. So we're... It's 9.45, or 7.45, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, it's 19.45, my bad. My bad. Hey, so real quick, kind of like we did with our last Q&A, before we go, we're just going to give you some takeaways, right? Because this was our chance to sort of evaluate you, to see kind of where you're at, what things you know, what things you don't know, what things you're confused on. And so my takeaway from you, I think that all of you should go home and for the next month just read the book of Galatians. Start at chapter one, read three, four verses, read the whole chapter, and then read the book. And then when you finish, just start over for a whole month. Just read the book of Galatians. Do I have to come up with one of my own? <laughs> I, would, I would second that. I mean, Galatians and Romans both, I mean, it's just gospel-centric. And if you want to know what it means to believe in Jesus, read John. I mean, there's a few books in the Bible. I mean, you can read anything in the Bible, but there are a few books of the Bible that just hammer out certain themes. In the book of Galatians, it's just dealing with what is salvation? Is it what that person told you it was? That's, yeah, read the book of Galatians. I'm going to say the same one. Yeah. Yeah, real quick. Um, 
if you want to know, uh, you know, what salvation is, read Galatians. If you want to know if your faith is genuine, read James and First John. Um, you know, a lot of times people say, um, I have, I, I believe in Jesus, and I'll ask them, how do, how do you know you believe in Jesus? And First John and James talk about that. Uh, I do agree. The Galatians, if you can, read the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. The first three verses is the promise to Abraham. And then Galatians will make sense because he's talking about the true children of Abraham. And then also, if you want to, Genesis 15. And it's weird, but if you read that in concert with Genesis, I mean with Galatians, it might help make sense, and I can promise you, if you do this and you have questions, we would all be happy to answer those questions for you. Because it, it, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, every bit of it's about Jesus, and every bit of it flows together. So let us help you connect the dots. There's light bulbs that will go on in your walk that will just, it, it, it's just mind-blowing kind of things that happen for me. It's like, Okay, I start connecting these dots of these stories. We'd love to help you, but start there. Yeah, yeah, that'd be the last thing I'd say. Just don't be scared to ask questions. Don't listen. Sometimes I can be very straight-faced and ask you questions that make you feel dumb. I don't mean to. Sometimes I do. But, but my, my, my point is, is that, like, we don't want you to feel dumb, right? We don't want to belittle you. We don't want you to make you feel stupid. All of us, at one point in our walk with Jesus, did not know things. At one point, we had to go, I, this doesn't make sense. I need somebody to answer this for me. We had to go investigate for ourselves. We had to go listen to sermons. We had to go read books, right? We've all been there. And so we want more than anything else to help you. And so if you have questions, if there's things you're concerned about, if there's things you're confused about, like obviously we're going to challenge you because we want you to grow, but we want y'all to be able to ask us questions so that we can help you with those things. Cool? One, one more quick thing. Um, I was young, I was nine, but I grew up in a, a Christian home and everything. But I remember even at nine years old, almost feeling like my mom was gonna get on to me when I told her that I wasn't saved and I didn't know the Lord. In no way, I, I don't know how to communicate. I wish I could pull my heart out and show you right now how I feel about this and how I feel about y'all. Um, there, if, if any of you, and I don't expect in a room this size that everyone is born again and, and truly knows the Lord and is saved and is going to heaven. I would guess in a room this size there, there would be some um, who don't. And so if, if there's any doubt in your mind, if you, you know, if you read First John and you're like, I, I don't know. We, we want to deal, help you deal with your soul and, and work through that. And it may be laborious and it may be a lot of prayer and a lot of time and a lot of going through the word and, and crying out to the Lord and all that. But I think that's worth, um, it's worth it than the, the, <laughs> the consequences of not believing and not knowing, um, like it says in First John. I've written these things to you so that you can know that you have eternal life. Read it, and it will be good. Awesome. Let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll, we'll head out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had just together. Lord, to ask questions, to look to your word, Lord, to explore. Um, just some different things, Lord, pertaining to your gospel, pertaining to the new birth, pertaining to, to our faith, Lord. Uh, I know I speak for, for all these men, Lord. We really have a heart for these students, and we, we hope and pray that all of these students would come to know you, Lord, salvifically, that they would experience that new birth, Lord, that you take out their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh and cause them to walk in your statutes and in your ways. And so, Lord, I pray that you would equip us to lead them well. Lord, equip us to walk alongside them, to work through those difficult things in their lives, Lord, so that they can come to know your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for these students. I pray that if anyone, any one of them doesn't know you, Lord, that you would begin that work in them. 
Lord, that your spirit would move on them and that they would come to know, they would come to know you. And for those that do know you, Lord, I pray that you would continue to sanctify them and cause them to walk in obedience to your word. We pray all these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.